Hello there, and welcome to another episode of That Can't Be Right. I'm Eric Ballinger, and I'm here with Joe Miller. And this week, we are going to talk about open science. For those of you who are unfamiliar with open science, uh, open science is the idea that prior to performing research, you would register your, uh, your hypotheses and how you're going to collect data and what you think you're going to find before you do the research. With some versions, you also will later release the data uh, so that other people can, can check your work, basically. The reason why this is important, and specifically for people in the social sciences, which is what we are, is that social science tends to be a bit messier than the natural sciences. For example, if you are working in chemistry, you know that when you apply heat to sulfur, it always behaves more or less the same way. Unlike human beings, when you ask them a question, depending on the day and the way you ask the question or whether or not they like your haircut, they will probably answer differently, and that can be a problem. So you get, But you'll get much more variation in the social sciences than you typically would in uh, chemistry or physics or any of the mm -hmm. more uh, standard natural sciences. There's currently like what would be considered a issue with replication that we'll talk about uh, next week, actually. And this is one reason that has led to more open science things and discussions. But right now, the biggest way we need to convey it is that at the end of the day, social science is messy. Doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just messier than the natural sciences. And because of that messiness and that lack of variability, when we think we know what's going to happen, we run a bunch of tests and then check to see if we're right. In the social sciences, there is a serious problem with what's a thing called the file drawer effect. It's where you have a study with some idea and you collect all your data and then you run all of your tests and you find out that you're wrong. In a perfect world, a wrong answer would be just as valid and useful as a right answer. But because of publication issues, which we've talked about, if you have a non-significant result, then that article or that research will never be published. So you just don't bother sending it in. And a lot of this is an artifact of the statistics that are used. What happens is if you can't show that something is clearly greater than or um, is clearly less than 0 0.05, this magical number that's used in social science, we all of a sudden just disvalue it. We disvalue this idea. We disvalue that entire fact. And this leads to a higher increase of file drawer effect within the social sciences because a lot of times if it has, um, it's not significantly important or significantly different, nobody pays attention to that result. And therefore it's either A, removed from the study, or B, the entire study is put into the file drawer. Right, yeah, so it won't even be submitted for publication. It's not even a matter that it'll be rejected. It's not even submitted, which is a problem. So think about publication. Since professors and graduate students all need to have publications, one way that they have found to fix that is not good for science, but really good for publication, is that you treat what should be an exploratory analysis as a confirmatory analysis. For example, if you are running, if you have a, a data set and you want to know if there is a gender bias on uh, people's preference for chocolate chip cookies, I mean, because that sort of thing is important. We need to check these things. But you have no real strong idea as to which one you think is, is, is accurate and really have no idea why on earth you even have this data, but someone hands you a, a big spreadsheet full of 
cookie preferences based off of gender. And you run a t-test to see if there's a difference in chocolate chip cookie preference based on gender. You did an exploratory analysis. So no matter what p-value you get, you didn't actually confirm anything since you didn't have a theory and weren't actually testing some idea. But you can pretend that this was a confirmation. And you then work backwards. So you have a statistical result. And then you go to the literature and you find something to support that result. It is a very backward way of thinking. It's coming back to what we did in a discussion in an episode earlier, which was pretty much pointing out that sometimes the scientific method that we use, we're not following the order that we should be using. Instead of going from instead of using the exploratory analysis and labeling a research project as such, you all of a sudden now have to treat it as conformatory, not only because they care about the significant relationship that we talked about earlier, but that also, that exploratory versus conformatory also has a degree of weight within publications. If you have it treat most things as exploratory, it's not going to be weighted as heavily for compared to a conformatory analysis or conformatory research. At least from my experience, that's what I've found. Right, yeah, if you just say that you were exploring some data and found this odd thing and now you're trying to figure out why, I'm not even sure how you would write that up. I think it would start with, uh, it's called a poster presentation, and then you see what happens from there. Um, or, or it's a blog post. Uh, blog posts are really great for academic researchers because there's like, we found something interesting. We don't know what it is. But since it's not a conformatory analysis, this comes back down to also with grant writing and stuff. So mm -hmm. you can't really do a grant. You can't really do a funded project if you're like, I want to explore this. You're really going out and I, I want to confirm what I already know in a way, even though grant writing should be more of exploratory. But actually, a grant might not be exploratory. It, it could still be you need to confirm something. But you can use exploratory analysis to uh, generate that idea that would uh, be presented to a, to a grant-issuing institution. But what open science does to hopefully fix this problem is you will start with some idea. Uh -huh. So instead of starting with data, you start with an idea. And you register that idea. You, so you tell lots of people. And you explicitly say who you're going to recruit. So what is your sample? So it's not even just, I think that more men will like chocolate chip cookies than women. I don't know why you would think that. I don't know why you'd have a direction on that. But let's say you did. You did. Mm. Men really like chocolate chip cookies. Women, not as much. So you have this idea. And you're also going to say your sample. How are you going to get these people? Are you just handing out chocolate chip cookies at the mall? I think your data might be a little skewed because, you know, things like you're handing out cookies at the mall. Yeah. <laughs> who doesn't want a cookie at or, the mall? Or going with another example from the other way is who wouldn't want a cookie after having a full meal and then asking on the way out, hey, after going through the buffet, do you want this chocolate chip cookie? Right. And you have the opposite. And who knows? Maybe men prefer chocolate chip cookies more than women. Right. But you all, so you have your idea. It's like, oh, here's my research question. Here's this vague idea that I have. Uh, and you talk about your sample. Who, who are you going to look at? How are you going to measure it? Is it just, did they take the cookie or did you watch them eat it? 
Uh, did you have them fill out a questionnaire after eating the cookie to say something? Well, that was really nice. I really enjoyed that cookie. I'm glad you were standing here in the mall handing out cookies with a clipboard. And, <laughs> and from that, you actually will state your hypothesis. So men like chocolate chip cookies more than women is explicitly stated. You know we have a definite null hypothesis. Mm -hmm. uh, we know how we're going to collect the data. We, and we know how we're going to analyze the data, it, ideally. You, so you'd be able to uh, really talk about, I'm just going to do a t-test to check group A compared to group B with uh, based on these scales. So let's take this a step further in that sense. Let's say there was research between that we had men preferred chocolate chip cookies and we had research to support this, almost this is the idea of a conformatory study as normal. But we're coming back to this idea of what happens if there's no difference. And then what happens when you do, what do you do with, let's call it a bland result. Something that you weren't really, ex not necessarily not expecting, but not shiny in the sense for publication purposes. Right, so you're saying that people just, what you discovered was that uh, people uh, like to be given free chocolate chip cookies regardless of the guy with the clipboard. And yeah, great. Yeah, in the normal span of events, you would do this project uh, if you could find someone to supervise it who wouldn't think you were crazy, and then you'd discover that, which would be this would be my guess that people in general like cookies. Gender's kind of immaterial. Yeah, if you don't like cookies, actually, um, there is many many things that we should talk about where you're wrong, uh, but that is a topic for another day. But at the same time, we're still coming back down to this very interesting thing. What happens if our result is not interesting? Normally it would be relegated to the file drawer. Off to never be seen again. But let's go with that example because I, I personally love chocolate chip cookies. I could see myself funding somebody later to do a research study on this study. But I did not know about this research beforehand. It goes to the file drawer and then I spend all this time and effort over a year having my graduate student getting ready researching chocolate chip cookies beforehand to do a similar study as going to the mall with a clipboard and do the study over and over and over again. And it does mean that any sort of analysis that you would do is going to become exploratory because you're going to be looking for data somewhere. Because I'm sure that there's data out there about chocolate chip cookies. Someone has done this. But it hasn't been for an academic paper. Yeah. So it's just been, you know, Toll House, I'm sure, has done research on, on who likes chocolate chip cookies. I wonder if they're hiring. <laughs> uh, so I'm sure that this exists somewhere. But why would you care about gender? I mean, maybe there's something you maybe are interested in. Um, gender differences in preference for chocolate. Do they like uh, milk, milk chocolate versus dark chocolate? And maybe there's something about uh, neuroreceptors. Mm -hmm. uh, the, so there is an actual chemical difference between men and women that makes one group prefer chocolate over another. And though that might actually coming back down to a more natural science thing, let's go with a social science example. What happens if the person handing out chocolate chip cookies is unattractive or versus right. an attractive person? Because chocolate chip cookies are so amazing, do people just not care about that? It's free cookies. How sketchy or unattractive do you have to be as the researcher for this person to eventually just not get a cookie from you? That is a study I want to see. But at the same time, <laughs> that would be fun. 
it would be great to have that study. Yeah, like, regardless of this, the importance of open science that we're going to get to eventually, just imagine that kind of study where we see the attractiveness versus ske and sketchiness continuum described on who gets free stuff and who doesn't actually accept the free stuff. But at the same time, what happens if, in this hypothetical example, as silly, as goofy as it might be, there is no result? There is no interesting result. There is no difference. Right, so... And that's where it bring, uh, brings it around to uh, the Open Science Framework. Uh, the Open Science Framework is the sort of an offshoot of the Center for Open Science. And they are one organization. I, there might be more, but I think a lot, of, a lot of them are just sort of funneling into the Open Science Framework. And it is a uh, website and uh, with a bunch of features, actually, which is really nice. Through that portal, you can register your study and explicitly say, this is my research question, this is the group of people I'm going to look at, here's my actual hypothesis, here's the uh, procedures I'm going to use, and here's how I'm going to analyze the data. And once you register it, it locks in. So once you submit it, you actually can no longer edit that document. And you can also, you can set up a moratorium on the release of it as well. Uh, that way if you're like, a lot of people you're a little nervous that if you put your study out there before you actually get a chance to conduct it oh because that's one of the parts of the pre-registration is you have to tell them that you have not collected data or that if you have collected data you haven't seen it so because that way they there's a little bit of integrity in terms of whether or not you just have a bunch of data you're made up some crazy hypothesis and then to match the uh, the numbers that you found but it locks it in and puts a time and date stamp on it. And you can decide when to release that to the public. So, like I was saying, if you're worried that someone's going to look at your research and go, that's a great idea, and they have more money than you and can afford to hire more grad students or pay participants more to, to come and be part of your study, uh, you can put a moratorium so that no one can see it hmm. until you're ready. But it, when you do re finally release it, it does still have that same time and date stamp on it. So if you have data that you're using and it predates your pre-registration that kind of makes you look like a jerk. It's a great way to have a value check system where you pretty much are having somebody to be able to hold it and say we were going to do this research regardless of funding but be able to say we are holding ourselves more accountable. It's an accountability system right. that we aren't really seeing elsewhere. There are public, there are academic articles and journals out there who are now um, and conferences who, if you do the open science format, um, you can immediately go and get published with them, regardless of your results. It comes back to where it's almost holding the what we talked about in a previous podcast, which pretty much is this holding the formula, the scientific formula, the scientific method more accountable than what we are at right now. It is creating this value system that puts it in place. Um, now, I don't know if this is personally, I don't know if this is registered through the open science framework that we talked about in the podcast so far, or the specific website we are referencing, but I know a few places and a few conferences are now saying, if you do register through the open science ahead of time, it's an immediate publication. And that is good and bad. And in my opinion, I can kind of see it being more good right now as it is creating this way for us to re-bring back a foundation to the scientific method for social scientists. 
so that we can have the sketchy guy who is in the middle of a mall dressed in an overcoat with weird colored patches on there and compare if people still want a free chocolate chip cookie from them. Or we can see if there is a relationship between bias and racism and be able to, regardless of the results or um, degree of marginalization, regardless of the result, be able to publish on it so other people who are getting similar results will find things coming out from that. Now, I don't know enough about that subject to say that the research articles aren't actually out there already on that that show um, null or um, non-interesting results. But I can see where sometimes if there is a more touchier subject, people might not be wanting to publish it, um, even though it can still add value. If the result isn't in line with the current literature is what I'm going with. Yeah, and that's... That is one of the things with, with open science. Uh, again, I'm largely talking about uh, the Association for Psychological Science, so APS. Um, they're the group I know the most about in terms of their stance with open science. Uh, they were one of the early adopters of the idea of transparency. Yeah, there we are. Uh, transparency and openness promotion. I don't think they guarantee publication, but they definitely, if you have a pre-registration and you have a null result, um, it is much more likely to get published because it was a real science thing. It was, I think this is going to happen. I was wrong. As opposed to, I found a data set. I came up with a crazy idea and I was wrong. You should publish my paper. They're not gonna buy that. And then I think for the last few years, and I know that they just put up a new one this year. So they have the open science challenge through the open science framework and it's this really kind of fun idea that you have a pre-registration of your study. You run your study and you get whatever results you get. And if it is submitted for publication and accepted, you can win an award. So you can actually win money for just doing what you're supposed to, just handling science the correct way, which is sad that it has to happen, but great that it is in fact happening. So yeah, a little of both. And one thing that I very much like, and I'm trying to, I guess I didn't really enunciate it at the beginning, is like, what happens if you, go, like, here's the problem. And I'm going to come back to another example. I'm going to keep using this chocolate chip cookie reference. And I think it's just because um, of something that we've joked about in the past so much. Is, is this the idea of what happens if it goes against what's already out there? So there is another thing that open science allows for, and that is killing the feedback loop where people are constantly publishing the same idea over and over again because it supports the literature beforehand. What happens if you find a result that doesn't support the literature? That's when things get even crazier because some journals might accept it. They're like, okay, here is a controversy. I wanna see what's going on. But a lot of times, oh, this is going against what I think it's supposed to be going against. Right. So you're like, you pull that out of the data. It's going against what the literature is saying. It's going against what the field is saying at large. And that can create a lot of issues because you're creating a feedback loop of, oh, we're only able to see the same results over and over again that supports our original older idea. What happens if there is a different result out there that shows something different, that shows something unique that goes against the field? Sadly, it might not get published. Open science is a way that goes around that. And I'm thinking of a journal in particular right now where there is a degree of less ambiguity and if it doesn't necessarily go against with what the editors think, they don't accept it. Huh. 
Yeah. Well, and but that also happens with with I, certain ideas, which I'm not going to talk about, mostly because I'm concerned that if I I may have to actually encounter some of these people. Um, but there are certain broad theories in educational psychology that are accepted by certain groups of people. However, they can only they've only been replicated, and we'll talk more about re- replication later. But they've only been replicated by people in one very specific academic lineage. So if you don't work in Blank's lab, your results are different from everyone else's. Every, you know, and if you're working in this particular lab, you are always managing to replicate your boss's uh, findings. Weird. It's almost like you want to make sure you get the boss's approval somehow. Who knew? Yeah. So certain elements of open science should help fix that because you would be you would declare right up front, hey, this is the research question. This is how we're testing it. This is the group we're going to use it on. And you don't have to release the data, but that's great. And with the open science framework, one of the things you can do, you can actually put in your full analytic plan before you go in. And I, I was not, I, I've only registered one study so far. Uh, and I was not ready to do some of the uh, other stuff that they have as an option because you can actually register your the code you intend to use to do the analysis so you can actually put in the oh, R awesome. yeah, you can actually put in your R SPSS or, oh, SAS, or SAS awesome. code and that way it's very upfront it's like I'm going to do this thing followed by these things and that's what I found <laughs> uh, so that's really I think you do that when you're really confident of what's going to happen, which is sort of the point. That way it is definitely, you're doing this as a confirmatory analysis. I think this is what's going to happen, and here's how I'm going to prove that, versus I found a spreadsheet and I need a publication because my tenure clock is running out, or I need to, <laughs> I need to check this box so that I can take this test. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I've mentioned the, the Open Science Framework a bunch of times. If you're interested in open science, it is kind of the place to go. And uh, I'll put a link in the description. If you can get to the descriptions, I have no idea where you people are listening to this from. Uh, but the website's really easy to get to anyway. It's uh, it's osf.io. That'll take you to the open science framework. If you are not registered with them, if you're not a graduate student registered with them, I, I recommend it. Uh, one of the easiest things, ways to, to sign up for it, actually, is to... Um, sign up for ORCID, O-R-C-I-D. I think that's also their website. Um, if you don't have a membership with ORCID, I recommend getting that as well. Uh, I know a number of journals are preferring that when you submit for mm-hmm. publication. That they that way, because if you're someone like me, I mean, there is actually another Eric Ballinger running around out there, uh, and he's a football player. Ooh, I can't Not, imagine Joseph Miller. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's, so Joe Miller. There's only one of those running around. So, but if you have your your, your uh, Orchid membership, uh, the, which again, this is all free stuff. So I mean, I'm not trying to convince you to drop a bunch of money on things. We'll do that later. Well, yes, when we monetize. But if you have, but with with uh, your Orchid, it verifies that you are in fact you, so that you don't end up with uh, a weird publication. Because I know I've received a couple things where like, did you publish this? Like, that is not me. <laughs> I don't know who that mm-hmm. is. Uh, yeah, so ResearchGate has some weird stuff going on. Uh, but Orchid, you can sign up with that and then uh, use that to connect to your uh, open science framework thing your, so, uh, through osf.io. 
And they do have a bunch of really fun things. Like, so you can register your, your study and you can use that also to store your data. And you, I think it can be tied into GitHub or something, or it has its own function very similar to GitHub. So it's, there's version control that way as you get more data or as you add stuff to it or you're, add, you're adding stuff to your, to your analysis, it, it's all in one place. Again, all free, so, and I'm not being paid to shill for them. It really is kind of the place to go to do all of this stuff. And because we need more science that's actually science, <laughs> as opposed to a way to like churn through papers and publications. Because if we don't do that, then we end up with studies that are only replicable within a single research lab. And really, that can't be right. That one thing we can do this stuff is by lying about it. Next week's topic, the idea that we need to, re to replicate these studies. If you have a result that can't be repeated, I'm not sure what's going on there. But that's for a topic for next week. Mm -hmm. And I uh, hope you enjoyed that. And we will see you then.